Good morning and welcome. Think that the back connection? Uh, uh, just adjust it. Okay, that probably did it. It's that power connection. I understand that, but it's never happened before, so it's something intermittent. I don't know if it's this or this or what. Good money for that thing too. Okay. I'll just stop breathing. I need a bulletin. I need a bulletin, please. We have the call to worship. This is a demarcation between public worship and not public worship. Thank you. Behold, bless ye the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made heaven and earth bless thee out of Zion. Let's bow our hearts and heads and sign of preparation for worship. Let us stand and let us sing 351, 351.
Let us pray. And so, God above, may we come with hearts of gratitude and thankfulness, God Almighty, for the great salvation we have through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord, for your Spirit to be here in special measure, Lord God above, in the preaching of your Word and the giving of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, God, that we may get the comforts and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, more and more. In your name alone we pray, as you taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be. You may be seated. We have the reading of Psalm 16, which is inside the bulletin. It's an insert. Psalm 16. <clears throat> I'll read the bold face, <clears throat> and you can read the alternating verses. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We see here in verse 10 a hint, a clue, a little evidence of the Messiah to come. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Suggesting that the psalmist here, David, recognized that the Holy One to come, the promised seed of Eve, of David, will be one that is holy, that is a just and right king, as we read in Psalm 2 and elsewhere, and one who apparently represents him. He's here to do things for God's people. He says, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. And I think he has the confidence, because nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. 
He puts his trust and faith in the seed to come, in Jesus Christ as Lord, and we are called to do the same again and again for the rest of our lives. Praise be to his name. Let us pray. <clears throat> we who are your people, God, we who, Lord, are blessed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, Lord, in John 3, where you have given us a new birth, wherein we have new desires, a renewed will, new, Lord, thoughts about you and your holiness and your greatness and your love and your compassion and your covenants and your faithfulness towards us, God Almighty. We pray and ask, Lord, that we would continue to praise you, Lord, that we continue to be comforted by your truth and your gospel in spite of our sins, God, that we would, Lord, acknowledge our sins, whatever they may be in thought, word, and deed, various violations of one degree or another of different commandments, God's at different times. Some of us have certain more temptations than others, Lord. And we ask and pray and continue to depend upon you and your spirit especially, Lord, that we would be aware and cognizant of our sins and repent of them, Lord, as soon as we are able. But always, God, to have a heart ready and willing to repent and always to trust and trust, Lord, in you and depend upon you and to rely upon your promise that you say that you will save us to the uttermost and that when we are and have been born again, we will continue, Lord, to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We praise you, God, for that promise and for that reality in our life, even though it seems, Lord, that we have failed and fallen again and again, and the world mocks us and points at our sins, God. May we stand firm in the gospel promise that they are all completely and utterly forgiven. As we will see, Lord, in the sermon this morning, God, your love for us through Jesus Christ, <clears throat> shed abroad in our hearts, Lord, is also given through the Lord's Supper to reinforce our weak faith. Be reminded again, Lord, that you are for us, that God, as we read here, we are the excellent ones in whom is all your delights. We who are the saints on the earth, Lord, saints in spite of our sins, Lord, saints because of the justification and the blood of Christ Jesus shed abroad for us. We pray and ask God for our church to continue to grow spiritually and numerically, to be faithful to your word and to your worship our God and Savior, to be faithful, Lord, to the doctrines and practices that we believe are in the Word of God. Help us to that end, Lord, to continue to exercise such things, to believe such things, to instruct one another in such things. We ask, and Lord, and implore your Spirit to be with us to fight against sin, to persevere, to grow in holiness, God, to be made and renewed more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank you, God, that we have the fruit of the Spirit. We pray for more fruit of the Spirit. We pray, God, not only for our own church, we pray for our sister churches that we are united together in and a covenant God called the Presbyterian as part of the denomination of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. And we would pray for them and think of them, Lord, and ask God that you would be with their churches as well, Lord, that they would stand firm, they would grow both spiritually and numerically, that the pastors would feed the flock, and that, that God, they would also grow in the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. We pray not only for them, but we pray, God, for all churches that name the name of Christ Jesus here in Denver, Colorado, God, and across the nation, that you would be with them, help them stand firm in doctrine and in practice as well, that they would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that their churches, uh, Lord, would follow the truth of your word. Help them, I pray, to be protected from uh, lies and deceits, and indeed all your churches to be protected from their own follies. We pray, God, not only for our church, our churches, and other churches, Christian churches near us and far from us, Lord. We pray for our nation. We pray for our state. We pray for our county and our city, God, that our magistrates would do the right thing and that wicked laws would be undermined and overthrown. 
and ask God <clears throat> that they would indeed represent our true interest, the interest for our good, Lord, as citizens. We pray, God, as those who love their neighbors, Lord, for their protection, uh, both politically, legally, uh, as well as economically, God, uh, that they would be able to find good jobs, that the economy would strengthen instead of undermined. And, Lord, we pray especially for this end, for the Church of Jesus Christ and for Christians, Lord, who work for uh, businesses that think little of their employees, that give little pay. We've had continued growth of inflation and the weakening of the dollar, and more and more hours are needed, Lord, and more and more work to pay for more and more basic necessities. We ask God that it would not grow worse, again, especially for your church's sake, for the Christians who are in such situations and dire difficulties. And so we pray also, Lord, uh, that our churches would be prepared and do what we can with our monies, uh, diaconally especially, Lord, to be there when people are in need, and that we would help one another, God above, that the churches, Lord, would take care of their members first, that the world would see that we love one another as Christ tells us, to show that and to express it to one another especially, to be prepared to help, not only financially, but materially, and through advice, and even education, if possible, God, we ask these things, Lord, for your glorious namesake, and continue to pray for our bodies as well that we would stand firm in our calling in the Sixth Commandment to preserve life, uh, to eat well, to exercise as we are able, God, to persevere, although our flesh is weak, to encourage one another in this regards, God, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. We pray, Lord, that those who have chronic ailments and sicknesses, God, would persevere. They would get better, that you would heal them, that you would give them access to good doctors and good advice. Uh, Lord God above, there's lots of advice. It could be a flood of information. It could be very frustrating and confusing, God. I pray that we would not give up and try a little here and a little there as we can and to do what we can, God, to take care of this body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And above all, God, we ask for continued growth in our sanctification. We take care of our soul, Lord, to read your word, to pray, and, Lord, to praise your name, ask for help throughout the week, to do our callings and vocations in life. We ask God above to be with us this morning especially. In your name alone we pray. Amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Rejoice, God, in the salvation we have in Christ Jesus, and 
the financial ability, Lord, to give to the work of the church and the kingdom of God may be used, Lord, for that end and to help those in material aid need especially. In your name alone we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We have the sermon in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verses 29 to 31. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son and all the way that you went until you came to this place. Let us pray. With these words, God Almighty, may we be encouraged with the love that you have for your church as expressed in the language, Lord, as a man carries his son. And so you continue to carry us, Lord, to preserve us and to watch over us, the body and soul, showing us, Lord, your fatherly love towards us. Through Jesus Christ alone we pray. Amen. The Lord's Supper is given by God for you for many reasons. For the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. The sealing of all the benefits thereof unto true believers. Their spiritual nourishment and growth in him. Their further engagement in and to all the duties which they owe unto him. And to be a bond and pledge of the communion with him, with each other as members of the mystical body. And another reason is to show the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Even as you declare in the public affirmation that He is your God, He declares in public fashion that He is your Father. The Supper is here as an expression of God's love in Christ for you, brothers and sisters. And let us see that in particular here as we expound upon, or as I expound upon, the love of God through Christ Jesus. Your God loves you, is the first point. His love in general, that is, what is God's love and what does that look like? Uh, We have one definition here from a dictionary, Bible dictionary, about God being love, right? The Bible tells us God is love. Love is not only one part of God's attribute, it is also an essential part of His nature. God is love, as we are reminded in 1 John 4.8, personification of perfect love. Such love surpasses our powers of understanding, Ephesians 3.19. Love like this is everlasting, Jeremiah 31. It is a free love, Hosea 14.4. It's sacrificial, John 3.16. And enduring to the end, John 13. That could be a sermon in itself, going into the details here of the different characteristics and descriptions of the love of God and the love of the Father in particular. No doubt that God loves you since He is love. His love is not fickle and changeable. Human love, as we know, even the best found in families and close friends comes and goes. Anger flares up. Difficulties come upon us. We don't have enough food. Whatever the reason is, our love can grow weak and cold. God does not. It stands firm regardless of what 
happens to us or whatever we may do, brothers and sisters. It is dedicated and directed at your good and for his glory. It is the promise of mercy forevermore and compassion. As we read, this was providential. I did not plan this. We just go straight through the Psalms, right? Psalm 16, verse 3, As as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, says the Lord. That's love, isn't it? Is that what the parents have for their children? That is, they are the parents' delights. They love their children. They take care of the children. They have compassion for their children. And they are committed to their children. Even if the kid, even if the kid spits up, right? Cries in the middle of the night. You don't disown your children. They are yours. This is God's love for us, brothers and sisters. This is God who is the God of love who defines love for us and shows love in his actions towards us, even if it doesn't feel like love. When a child is disciplined by her parents, she's thinking, that's a lot of love. No, that's not what they typically think. They're sad. They don't want this pain. They don't want this discipline. And yet we know the parents love them. That's exactly why they are disciplining the child. So even when we are disciplined by God, it is an expression of his love toward us in Christ Jesus. And this should encourage us because when the economy gets bad, when you lose your job, your car breaks down, you don't feel like there's a lot of love going on. Hard day at work, hard week at work, a hard year at work, you don't feel like there's a lot of love going on. And yet it's part of God's plan, and if we believe that He's in charge of all things, and this is part of His plan called providence, we know these difficulties themselves are from God. Not because he hates us or is angry towards us, but because he loves us. He believes we need such difficulties, brothers and sisters. So in our understanding of God, that he is love, it is not our definition of love. It is his definition of love. As we know, the world loves to sing about love and have movies about love and talk about love. Politicians talk about love. It's all just often a game. It's a a gimmick to make more money, a gimmick to make you do what they want you to do, perhaps, a manipulation of some sort. It doesn't matter. They have a confused, utterly confused understanding of love. When we read the Bible that God is love, we must go to the Bible to understand what that verse means. We have. We've gone through that. I've mentioned some of it here. You know these things. I'm not going to go over all the basics of that. But again, a reminder that, yes, God is love, but not your immediate understanding of always what love is. What the Bible tells us is love. Being disciplined by God is an expression of love. Hebrews 13, brothers and sisters, right? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And if you're not disciplined, you're an illegitimate child. So, the Bible tells us God is love. Describes that love. Gives particulars of that love. Now, that God is love has a creational context as well. As a father of creation, he gives good gifts to all of creation. That God is indeed long-suffering towards the world. Reminded again in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, His Son rises on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. God who created all things still gives blessings, good things, to those who spit in His eye who hate him. They get the sun. 
the energy and the warmth. They get the rain and the moisture that that brings for their flocks, for their fruit, and for their body. But he gives it a course that they may repent. It brings it upon them as a condemnation if they do not repent. Look what God has given them and how he spat in their eye even more. It took their own credit for these blessings upon them. But the point here is if God, after the fall, still gives blessings or good gifts to men, unbelievers, gives them the sun, gives them the rain, how much more shall he bless you, brothers and sisters? How much more? Is he a father that loves strangers more than his own? That gives them blessings but hates you and gives you nothing? A thousand times no. Certainly not. That's not what it means that God is our Father. His love in particular then, not just God is an abstraction, that He is love, but that His love is for His people. It's not just a general feeling. God doesn't have the feeling of love. He, he does love. He is love. And we see that from the foundation of the world that He chose you to eternity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places we read in Ephesians 1. In Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. The election of God from eternity past the text doesn't use the word love, but what else would you call it? Indifference? Obviously it's love. His love is always for His people. It never changes. It is not fickle. It is eternally established. That's important. Your emotions go, come. You get distraught. You get discouraged. Even if it's not emotions, just intellectually you see things are bad in your life perhaps. Again, your car, your job, your family. And you feel abandoned by God. You think, I'm abandoned by God. Surely I'm abandoned by God. But if you believe in Him, you cry out to Him, you are His. And these things coming upon you, brothers and sisters, do not change the fact that He chose you from eternity past. Do not forget that. We read here in particular in Deuteronomy 1.29 these words, the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son and all the way that you went until you came into this place that God took care of his people. He takes care of us for we are his people. We also read Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7. Deuteronomy 7.7 The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all peoples. God didn't choose the church of the Old Testament, the Jewish church. It wasn't, I'll remind you again, right, exclusively Jewish. Gentiles had joined the church, people who weren't born Jews, but said, I want to follow the God of the Jews. Foretasting the New Testament, right? Foreshadowing in the New Testament. He says, you're the least of all the peoples out there. Why would I pick you? In the ancient Near East, recall when they went to battle, of course, that if you won, that means your God won, your religion won. You are superior. 
And in a similar fashion, if you had lots of your people, you were a great nation and you were multiplying and being fruitful, maybe a God would pick you. Maybe a God would want to represent you. You would bring him more glory and honor because you can fight more, you can multiply more, you can give more offerings, whatever the case is. Israel had nothing. God is saying, you have nothing. There's nothing in you that should merit me and my love for you. Which is another way of saying, God loved the church here in Deuteronomy 7 and continues to love the church in spite of the fact that she is unlovable and least among all people. It continues there in Deuteronomy 7. For you were least of all peoples, but because I didn't set my love on you because of these other attributes, but because the Lord loves you. It's God's love is the purpose behind here. And because He would keep the oath which He swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out of the, with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God had promised to save His people. Not because they were special and big and wonderful, but because he loved them. That's the basis. And so that's clearly echoed there in Ephesians 1 that I read earlier, that he's blessed us in the heavenly places in Christ, that as we are saved, we have all kinds of blessings, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, before you existed, before the church came into existence. God had chosen to save the church and save every member of the church. That is the elect all those who repent and believe. Although he is, a reminder again, good to all of creation, he set his love upon only part of creation, only some of the people who are saved. And like a father, he carried them and saved them. He watches over them. The language here in Deuteronomy 7, or Deuteronomy 1, verse 30. One, you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. The word is man. The word is not father. But obviously he means father because he has a son. The passage is about God's special love for his people and no one else. And that's a good thing. We hear God is love, and we've heard it so long in our society, and again, used against Christians. God is love. Stop telling me I have to repent. You want your kid to stop doing marijuana or heavy drugs or something? You want them to repent. You want them to change. That is love. The world's just using an excuse. And many, many churches that have fallen away by the wayside, Often they fall away. Why? Because they say, God is love. That's all He is. And his, his, when I say God is love, they say, it's how I define what this love is, which is license and excuses and no call of repentance. But that God is love must mean something. And it doesn't mean an indiscriminate love. I just love everyone, like us the 60s or something, right? Oh, we just love everyone, get along with everyone. No, no, a thousand times no. You wouldn't want your father that way, would you? 
the same people, the same churches, the same politicians who like to say God is love, love, we should just indiscriminately love people, don't want people close to them. They don't want their father, their spouse, their children. Ignoring them, taking everything they're supposed to give them, their honor, their respect, their love, money, time, and effort, and ability, and say, forget it, I'm not going to take care of my spouse anymore, my husband, my wife, my mother, my father, my children. I'm going to take care of the stranger down the street. That's how, because I love everybody. God is love. I'm following God's example. That's what God should do. That's what God does. God just loves and loves. No. That's not a father. What kind of father is that? That's sick. Father what? Focuses upon you. He loves you more than anyone else. Loves his wife. Loves his children. Loves his family. And he ought to. So when we say God is love, that should be encouragement for us. God in spite of all the difficulties, in spite of how much the world hates us, hates the gospel, hates churches across this nation, God does not hate us. But we who are in Christ Jesus are saved. God's love is shed abroad upon us. And we can see, and let's look here at the second point, what this looks like about our Father who loves us and how He fathers us. I like to talk about mothering, right? Stop mothering me, Mom. I'm grown up. Well, this is fathering. God fathers you. As we saw there in Deuteronomy 1, 29 and 31, as a man carries his son, so God is strong and powerful and exercises that strength and power because of love and preserving the church through the wilderness and preserving us through our wilderness and the difficulties, both individually and collectively. And there again in chapter 7, verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you are more in number, but because the Lord loves you. Like a father loves his child, even though his child is not athletic, even though his child may be sickly, even though his child has other difficulties and doesn't always listen, he still loves him. Chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, you should know that in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. I'm still in Deuteronomy, right? The book of the law, which talks about God's love. God loves you. That's why He chastens you. Chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 15. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and He chose their descendants after them, and you above all peoples as it is this day. He's highlighting the fact, my love chose you. This is why you are here. Not because you chose me. Although, if you're born again, you will choose God. (laughs) But it's first God. God loved us first. Therefore, uh, we love when the Spirit comes upon us. And then chapter 32, where it describes that He is a Father that brought you out from the slavery of Egypt. And that... It's just a sample of the passages of the Old Testament, let alone the New Testament, which shows and highlights God's love and a love that takes the initiative to bring salvation to us, we who are dead in our trespasses and sins. Like a father going to the adult drunk on the street, that's his son. Grabs him, throws him into his arm, takes him to get help. God will not give up on us. He's chosen His people. He will not give up on His people because a father does not give up on his children. That's the imagery here we see in just Deuteronomy alone. 
As our Heavenly Father, He has done many things for us and for the church. And the description here in those chapters in Deuteronomy and elsewhere in the Bible could be broken down into something along the lines of he's, he's strong for us, as a father is strong. He teaches us, as a father teaches. He leads, as a father should lead. He disciplines, as a father should discipline. All these different functions. But I want to highlight three particular functions of a father, of God the Father, who fathers you. He's a protector, he's a provider, and he's personal. He's personal for you. The father, or the fatherly love as protector. Then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. Here in chapter 1, verse 29 of Deuteronomy. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all that he has done in Egypt before your eyes. I will protect you. I will defend you. That's what he's saying. And he gives evidence of that. And in the wilderness where you saw the Lord carried you as a son, that's protecting you. That's providing for you. He's there personally for them. But particularly here, the idea of protection, to highlight that, I, that theme of what a father should do and ought to do, protect his family, protect his children. It's a promise he gives to the church and a promise that he gives to us. We're reminded of some examples of that in the Old Testament of Balaam and his donkey where he was urged by the pagans to curse Israel, the church of God in the Old Testament. And it backfired. <laughs> the donkey even talked to him. So what are you doing? God's going to kill you if you try to curse because you want the money, you want the wealth. No, God protected Israel in the most amazing fashion with the story of Balaam. And of course, all the other amazing incidences of the Old Testament, amazing events, earthquakes and fire from heaven. Those were not only signs of his glory, but signs of his protection and his power for his people. He is a protector because he is our father. And we have that today as well, although we don't have miracles as such anymore. No more voices from heaven, no more earthquakes to swallow up the enemies of God. But we have a special providence. As you recall, I preached on the special providence of God, where, wherein history, called providence, is directed towards his glory and for the good of his church. And things that happen for you, they happen for his people, they happen for the church. The protection of the church, the blessings upon the church, the good food and clothing in the house over our head is God's special providence for you. Think about that. Because as a father, he wants to protect you from the elements for your body, protect you from hunger protects you from enemies around us. And so we have peace and protection in America, not simply and only because of policies and whatnot. God uses those to be sure, but God's behind all those secondary means. He gave it to us in the West. And he gives it to those Christians across the world. It's not always prosperity of the body, but especially of the soul. And he protects our soul from the lies of the devil above all. He is not only a protector, he is a provider. He shows his fatherly love to us as a provider. <clears throat> and so in chapter 7, verse 13, of again, Deuteronomy, he describes his love as bringing blessings of children, of food, of productivity upon the nation. That God has given them these things. He provides for their body, he provides for their soul, gives them food for their stomach, and gives them food for their soul. Forty years in the wilderness, they complained, they moaned. God fed them and gave them water, didn't he? 
That's what a father does. Children come, wow, I don't want to eat leftovers again. Dad's like, why not? You know, find all you want. You're still my son. You're still going to eat. Because <laughs> the father loves. God provides for us, brothers and sisters. We have food and shelter and clothing, not only for protection, but also to provide us that we are nourished, we are strengthened, we are able to wake up awake on Sunday morning to come here protected and to provide us with a place of worship, to provide us with a comfortable environment so that we're not distracted when we hear preaching and sing praises before God. Matthew 19.29, we are reminded of one other truth, that God is not done providing for us. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives or children or lands, if you leave all these things, if you're willing to give up your family for Jesus, if, you're, if your family mocks you, if your neighbors make fun of you, and you say, I don't care, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Anyone who has left their brother, sister, or mother, or father, or lands, for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. We get to heaven, we'll have perfect protection and perfect provision for all things, brothers and sisters. That's our promise. And although our body fades away, and all our brothers, sisters in Africa and elsewhere in the world don't have much provision for their body, God has told them at the great resurrection, I'll give you a better body, and you will have streets of gold called heaven. And the fatherly love of God is also personal. Not just our protector, our provider, but he's personal. Jesus describes this, right? He counts the numbers on your head. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He doesn't count. He doesn't uh, have recursive thought the way we do, as they say in theology. But he knows immediately because he created all things. Because he loves us. He has attention towards us. He knows what we need. He sent His dearly beloved Son to live and die for you. That's personable, to be sure. And He created the sacraments, brothers and sisters, baptism and the Lord's Supper, because He knows our weakness and we need, and we want something tangible we can see, touch, and feel, and taste, and hear. And so He gave us preaching. You can see the preacher, you can hear the words of the Gospel. And He gave us baptism, we can feel the water that represents the Holy Spirit purging us of sin. And we can taste the bread and drink the wine that shows us the work of Christ for us. He gave it to us because as a father, he comes down to our level and says, you're weak, you need this. You have a weak faith. I want to give you something tangible to strengthen that weak faith. It should be enough that God said it. I believe it. Like We've heard that. We have songs like that. Yes, but nevertheless, God knows us better than we know ourselves, brothers and sisters. And there is no naked soul before Jesus Christ, but rather we have the Word of God preaching in the sacraments. That's what God has given us. Because He's a personal Father who knows us at a personal level. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper is here to express God's fatherly love for us. No fatherly love, no supper. 
The Lord's Supper helps protect us from Satan's doubt, provides assurance of salvation, and presents presents us with a personal Jesus in a tangible manner. It does all three things of the Father in love, protection, provision, and personableness. It's the highest love of the Father, sending His only begotten Son to live and die for us. And this is the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Praise be to the Lord. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for these words. We thank you, God, for the Lord's Supper as a tangible, divisible expression of the Word of God, of the Gospel of Jesus Christ in particular. We, help, we pray, God, that your Spirit would be with us to strengthen our weak faith and to draw us nigh unto one another, and especially to draw us nigh unto you. In the name of the Lord we pray. Amen. Let us go ahead and stand and sing uh, the first two verses. We split the hymn. The first two verses, 1 and 2 of 197. 197.